Those people can make every plan that they want, but unless God's doing it, nothing's going to happen. And I'm going to say that a lot, so I hope that sticks in your brain. When we pray to God, we acknowledge we can't do it, and we need Him to do it for us. Something that should also be treasured um, in our lives is prayer. We know we should do it, but we so often fail. And I speak to myself on this matter as much as I say it to other people. I want to read some quotes on prayer to help us start off. I was listening to a lot more sermons this week to help me out. Um, I like to, I like A.W. Tozer. I don't know how many of you guys know who that is, but he's ridiculously smart. And it takes like 13 times to understand what he's trying to say. Once he finally gets it, it's like, that's amazing. So I listened to him and a guy named Leonard Ravenhill, which is another old English dude. Pastor Jack knew who he was, but that's the only guy that I've met that actually knows who that is. Leonard Ravenhill is quoted on saying prayer. Like a semi-truck cannot run on a Volkswagen Beetle engine, so a church with massive ministries cannot run on little prayer. He gives the illustration. You see a, you know, an 18-wheeler going down the road. You know he's not running on a 2.2-liter engine. they got to have a big engine in that thing to make it co-op, to make it work. So how do we, as a church, like to have these huge ministries, but we don't pray for them? We are running a massive organization off of a little power source. A.W. Tozer says, the true success of any church is prayer. Uh, Tozer is also quoted as saying, if you're looking for a deacon, elder, or pastor, you look for a spiritual man, but if he is not praying, he is not spiritual. And again, Leonard Ravenhill is quoting as saying, no man is greater than his prayer life. And when we pray to God, we have to think as God does. He grasps all of humanity when he looks at life. We, as humans, we see our little worldview. We see Fenton Linden maybe a little bit bigger. But when we pray, we must see as God sees. So God is in control of everything, is he not? He's the one who can control it all. And so we must see when we pray that we are talking to the one who can actually do it. He is in control of all things. So no prayer, no request is too ridiculous for God. It's not something that he grasps. He is not limited by anything. And this I mean that once we understand that God is in control of all things and he is also seeking our best, Praying to him for things that are humanly impossible no longer seems so difficult of a task because we're not the ones who are doing the work to begin with. So we're going to explore what prayer is. We're going to look at seven different texts. Uh, I'm not, I hope to not go too long, but when you're doing something that's biblical and uh, biblical theology in nature, you need to look at many different ideas that we will formulate one kind of concept off of prayer. So we're going to go to seven different texts, and I hope at the end my application will be something that will be helpful for you. And because uh, I want this to be applicable to you all. Something like something is like prayer. We pray before we eat. Who knows why we pray before we eat? I didn't know until I started researching it. My parents just told me you pray before you eat because that's what you do. Well, the Bible actually tells us to. You read Matthew 14, 19 to 21, when Jesus has food that he's about to give to people, he prays over it first. See, in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, Paul commands Timothy, when you get something from God, mainly food, thank him for it through prayer. So I learned something when I was studying this. Why do we pray before we eat? Well, because we're thanking God that he was good enough to give us food for the week. So when you go out, because we all know we're dying to go and eat after church, you can, you can remember, remind yourself, hey, I'm doing this not just because it's a thing we do, but because God has commanded me to. And I want to give him thanks for all the, even the little things that he provides us, such as, you know, Ruby Tuesdays or whatever it is that you guys like to go. According to dictionary.com, prayer is defined as the following. Spiritual communion with God 
or an object of, object of worship as supplication, thanksgiving, adoration, or confession. I like to cut out the an object of worship because that's idolatry. So spiritual communion with God as an act of worship, as an act of supplication, as an act of thanksgiving, adoration, or confession. So that's what we do when we pray. We thank God for how great He is. We adore Him for how powerful He is. We confess our sins. We ask for things on behalf of other people. And prayer is worship. We are worshiping God when we pray. When you pray, you say, God, you know, thank you for all the great things you have done. That is worship for Him. That is worshiping Him. So our first text we're going to look at today is 2 Chronicles 7. I know not most sermons start off in 2 Chronicles, but I do like um, all these. The Old Testament books have a lot of great things in them. How many of you guys have seen the movie War Room that just came out about prayer? Me and my boy Herm went and saw that movie last week. And uh, this verse pops up at the end of the movie. And it's just funny how, you know, I was preparing my sermon on prayer. And Herm just calls and says, hey, you want to go to lunch? I'm like, yeah, I love food. And he went, let's go to Beale Street. I love barbecue. And we get there, he goes, hey, you, you want to go see War Room afterwards? I was like, man, Herm, you're not working today. <laughs> so let's go. Where'd all this free time come from? But, uh, so we went to go see it. And I was blown away. It's such a good movie. It's really good. They did a good job at reflecting what prayer should be like. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then that text pops up at the end. I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk about that. That's a good one. So we see 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So this verse, if you look uh, in, your, in your Bible, the if will not be the I and if will not be capitalized because it's in the middle of another sentence. So we have to look at context. So when you pull a verse out of context, you can start doing some really dangerous things. And uh, so we want to talk about the context of Second Chronicles 7. So right before Second Chronicles 7, Solomon has built the temple. And the temple is beautiful. It's huge. It's everything that God has commanded them to do. They build it up. It's great. And so they had this massive worship service. I think that would have been a great time to be there. All the people are singing the songs that David had taught them. They're singing songs. They're praying. They're uplifting each other. And uh, Solomon has a, a little bit of a sacrifice going on. He, and he did sacrifice just a couple doves, but 142,000 bulls and sheep. That's the sacrifice he decided to put before God. So you can't do that on one altar. So after they had the huge tabernacle built, they have to, um, they have to go and consecrate the entire courtyard of the, of the temple so they can sacrifice everything to God. That is the response to a God who has now said, I will dwell with you. You say, okay, let us do everything we can. So we're praying, we're singing back then, offering 142,000 bulls and sheep. That's a lot of animals. I didn't really think about that until I started thinking, you know, like, what would that look like in a field? And you start to see, like, animal after animal, and then all of them were sacrificed in order to praise God. This is a very exciting time to be in the nation of Israel. So you see Solomon finish the temple, he sacrifices all this, and God says his presence is going to be with them. Their church service that day was really sweet. That's why I like to look at it. They had a great service. They were praying, singing songs, and they were constantly saying, if you look in the text, it'll say in uh, verse 3, they're saying for, they're giving thanks to God, saying, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. That was the heart cry of the people. 
So that sets the stage for for our text. And so Solomon, um, he offers everything that's going on. He goes back to his place, and uh, so there, he's there. And after the whole sacrifice thing is going on, he's there, and God comes to him. And uh, in verse eleven, we'll pick it up. It said, "Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the, and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord, in his own house, he successfully accomplished." Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, "I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place." For myself as a house of sacrifice. Now that we read that we say, okay, so God's hanging out with them. But if you remember, they have not had a resting place for God in the kingdom of Israel since the mobile tent back with Exodus, back in Exodus. So God is going to legitimately be stationed in His kingdom with His people. This is monumentous. This is huge. And, you know, within the Bible, it has it in one verse, but if we understand in its context, these people are going to be praising. It's going to be an amazing time because God is finally with them. And they have their God in their tabernacle to praise Him and to sacrifice, and it's permanent. And that is huge for these people. So they are so excited to have this going on. So we go back uh, into the text, and uh, verse 13. So God is saying, I'm going to be with you. In verse 13, it says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, and then we get to our text. My people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, that I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So how is that for a reason to pray? So here's what's going to happen. Basically what God's saying is, here's going to happen. I've done all this for you, but actually, when I shut up all the rain from heaven and curse your land, what you got to do is pray to me. It's not like this, like, you know, all commanding presence saying, like, hey, you guys are going to have to do this for me, but saying, you know, you guys are going to turn from me and fall away. Even after we've had this great day where I'm finally with you, you're going to continually fall away from me. But here's the cool thing. When I shut up the heavens and when I bring a curse upon your lands, I've already given you a way to come back into a relationship with me. If you will simply get over yourselves and pray, then I will bless you again. So that's a great motivation to pray. You know, it's like, hey, you know what's going to happen? You're going to fall. You're going to fall away from me over and over again. And this is going to happen to you. So simply pray, and it'll be okay again. And God is so good in that way to where he not only, you know, he, he's going he's to forgive them you know, when they fall away, but he also gives them the way to bring it back. So he doesn't just say, hey, you're going to fall away. You're going to walk away from me, and I'm out too. When you walk away, I'm done. That's it. You've walked away from me enough. He says, when you walk away, when you fall, when I have to when I have to do all this stuff to you, you'll simply pray to me, humble yourselves, and I will bless you again. So he gives them, you know, this is going to happen, but he is so good to us that he gives us the way to come back. He doesn't just leave us where we are. He's done this great thing where he's with them, he's blessing them over and over again, and he still continues to bless them. So, what do we learn about prayer from this text? Well, if we pray, if we humble ourselves, that's the first thing we learn. We have to humble ourselves to pray. We are not going to naturally desire to give up our worries and concerns to other people. For some strange reason, that's just how we are. And I know with men, that's just because we're macho men, right? You know, we have to fix everything. We can fix anything. And Mainly we end up just like putting up the hood and staring at it. We're like, yep. Mm-hmm. So there's that and Fandel. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I got no idea. That's what I do, but I want to look impressive. You know, I take out the dipstick, check the oil, and that's got nothing to do with the fan that's broken. But hey, you know, I look like I know what I'm doing. We think that's going to be enough, but we know we can't solve the problem as is. We are not. We are not capable of fixing it. So we have to, like the text says, humble ourselves first. We have to get over ourselves, and that's not as easy said as done. It's not as easily said, not easily done, because we are prideful people. And so we see if we will, we will humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face, and then turn away from our sin. God will hear us, and He will forgive us. So I know prayer is. Prayer is is seeing our true status before God and finding forgiveness in Him. So we learn from Second Chronicles seven fourteen. We see our true status before Him that we cannot do it on our own. So we have to humble ourselves, and then we seek His face, and He gives us the blessing. So we humble ourselves in prayer. God gives us mercy. It's a great reminder of how fallen we are. If you don't know, if you don't need, if you need another reminder, go read Romans one. That's a great reminder of how bad we truly are. We can't even do anything. We have to bring it before God. And before we do that, we have to confess our sin before Him. And we are just fallen. He is so holy. So prayer teaches us a lot about God as well. So prayer is a great reminder of our fallen nature. Because whenever we pray, we're bringing our sin before God. Saying, hey, I can't do this anymore. Can you please take care of me? Prayer demands our humility. And... Uh, I like how little this text, uh, how little we are commanded to do in this text. It's not like if you go do these 13 steps and you, you know, do this and that and pray 76 times this way, then you will have my blessing. God simply says, humble yourself, pray, seek my face, turn away from your sin, and, you're, and it's okay. You're, it's, it's back to normal. I forgive you. We don't have to do all of this crazy stuff. We simply just pray to God and say, hey, I, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? Help me to seek you and you alone. And then it's taken care of. You know how little work we have to do? Why is it so hard to do it? Because it's simple. It's a simple task to simply ask that God would forgive us. We should picture when we read this text, you know, when we're standing before God because we can't do anything about it, to picture a little kid who's finally so frustrated by not being able to climb up the stairs and he just throws up his hands and says, help me please, Dad. i got to get up these stairs, but I can't do it. Or as uh, my, uh, my nephew, Andrew, says, help me. <laughs> he can't quite say help me yet, but it's very pathetic and really cute. So <laughs> finally just going to get so ready help me. <laughs> yes, I will finally help you. But that is who we are before God. We are a helpless little child seeking the help of our Father who can actually handle it. So, great, so prayer teaches us our fallen nature before God, and then we find forgiveness in Him. So we see the next text we're going to look at is in Philippians 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. That's how I always remember. Go eat popcorn. See, Philippians 4, 6-8, the text reads, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we learn about this is prayer is a lifestyle. It's something that we live by. It's not just an activity we do at dinner time and at night before we go to bed with our kids. It's simply it is a lifestyle. It's something that we are committed to 
in all facets of our life. A.W. Tozer says, Be anxious about nothing or give no care to the things you don't have, but in all things pray. I like that quote. I say here that prayer is a lifestyle because Paul clearly says, Everything in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. In supplication, let your request be known to God. Not that God doesn't already know what our requests are, because He does. He knows everything. But He still wants us, like dads want their kids to come to them for help. God still wants us to come to Him when we need help. He already knows what we need, and He's ready to give it to us. But He wants us to ask Him, because He's a Father to us, and He loves us. I love, when I think about prayer, think about I'm talking to my dad. That's something that's helped me so much to personalize prayer, because it used to be, you know, you got to pray in King James and English. Him saying, Thou art holy, O God, and this and that. That's what I thought I had to do to have my prayers be heard. That was my own doing, not my parents. They didn't teach me that. But that's what I thought had to happen. And when I started to realize it is like talking to your Father. I mean, yes, He is the holy God of the universe, so there's a difference in that. But it is as you are talking to your dad. And that helps me a lot when it comes to prayer, because I, that helps me to see He wants to hear my requests. And I think that's pretty cool. This uh, quote by Graham Goldsworthy is a little bit long, but it's very helpful. Um, it says, Of course it is recognized that our agenda for prayer in some way is controlled by Scripture, but the pattern easily develops into something like this. For whatever reason, we decide to pray to ask God for something. God hears us, we hope. God rewards our faith by answering our prayer. If we ask people what it is that is changed by prayer, few would feel comfortable in saying that we change God's mind. Yet that is almost the implication of our approach. It is as if God is unwilling to do good things in us, for us, and in the church, and the world, until we have done enough praying to convince Him that He should. The focus of our responsibility in the matter is, of course, not entirely misplaced. The question is whether or not the conceptualization of the motive and method in prayer is in this way biblical. I suspect that it is not. Basically what he's saying is, the way we look at prayer is probably not correct. You know, for whatever reason, we know, okay, well, God's, God's there, so I need to pray. We don't know why, but we know we need to. We're just kind of hoping that God hears us, so we just pray like 30 times, so then he'll actually start saying, hey, we, I meant it seriously. And then he'll, once he's convinced, do something for us. If that's your God, I, I'm sorry. That doesn't sound like a very fun God to be in a relationship with. I pray to my God because he loves me and wants to hear from me. I know he hears me because he told me that he hears me. And I am simply praying for His will to be accomplished. Our God is so good. He is not that God that we somehow think, if only we just pray it enough, it'll happen. Yes, pray about something a million times. Please do. Continue to pray about it. But have the right understanding that when you're praying, you don't have to pray it so many times that God will finally, maybe the 500th time, hear you. He heard you the first time. He's going to continue to work. But keep praying for it. It's a weird balance to find. But it is something that I think we have maybe a slight misunderstanding on is, you know, but it is kind of weird, you know, we're, we're communicating with a cosmic being that we can't see. So in that, there's always going to be a slight confusion because, you know, we kind of look, we probably look funny when we're sitting in restaurants and we're all sitting in there and we're, we're talking, but no one can hear us, but we're all looking down and communicating. But unless you know that we're communicating with our God, it kind of looks funny to people. That's just in and of itself what we find there's going, always going to be confusion when studying deeply into prayer because somehow God hears every single person all the time that's prayed to Him. I can't explain that to you. 
it's just it's just crazy. So there's always going to be some sort of confusion and conflict because we're trying to grasp the infinite. So as I'm talking, I hope that I at least makes some sense. But it is a difficult subject to talk about because God's involved. And if you try to understand him, it's going to be very, very hard to do so because he's so immense and deep. So as always, as I do, I like to look in the context of the text we're talking about. So in the general structure of Paul's letter in Philippians, the general structure in most letters is to start off with the Oliver with a greeting. And then normally with, if there's a problem in the church, he'll address it. And then he'll give theology concerning it and then the direct application and how to fix the problem or what to do. And so we find ourselves in Philippians 4 towards the application section of Paul's letter. And uh, like I've said before, we can't forget that this is a letter from a real person to real people. And so this isn't something that wasn't like very personal. If you read in here in Philippians 4 verse 2, this is one of my favorite things about the Bible. It says, I entreat um, Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Paul uses people's real name. That's how you know this is personal. There are real people that are not agreeing, and Paul thinks they need to hear. They, they need to be agreeing on something. He also says, I entreat to you. Uh, he says, yes, uh, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is so personal. I love that about the Bible. There are people's names in here, and it's just really cool to see, like, you're reading this huge theological deep book, and then you see Paul cares about these people, like individual people whose names are mentioned. It really doesn't have a ton to do with prayer, but I just think it's really cool. So Paul starts chapter 4 encouraging the believers to take care of these two particular women who have been extremely influential in the spreading of the gospel, and a man named Clement who's been equally beneficial. Like I said, I love this because it's proof how personal and how real in their life the, the Bible is. So we see, we see that, and then we see following this, um, we see a list of commands given by Paul that range everywhere from continuing to rejoice uh, to how you think. But right in the middle of that is the verse that we're going to talk about where it says, um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What does it mean to be anxious about nothing? It's a difficult one. There's a lot of things in life to be anxious about. Got a new job, new school, big test coming in. You know, for me recently, the biggest thing I was nervous about when, with the wedding aside, yes, I was nervous that day, but in particular when I proposed to Lindsay, because Lindsay can uh, she can see a surprise coming like a mile away. She has found out so many times I'm trying to surprise her, she already knows. One time we're driving, uh, we're coming away from my house, and there's a, a, a street you have to turn on. Like, you have to go left to get to, like, the rest of Grand Rapids. And I simply turn left, and she goes, we're going to Blue Water, aren't we? Like, how could you have possibly known that? I made, I made the reservations at work before I was around you. I simply make a left-hand turn, and you know where we're going? What? How? So I was like, okay, I have to be good on this surprise. I was so anxious when I was going to propose. Not just because of how big it was, but... She said, if you only surprise me once when I propose, that'll be good. So I'm like, okay, i got to do this right. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to put, i got a necklace and put the ring on it. So I'm watching this backstory, and I'm trying to put this necklace on, and my hands are doing this, and that, that's anxious. I'm like, what? And she's going to find out. She's going to find out. Everything is just like, I'm so worried about everything. That was, I was anxious about what was going on. But in, in reality, you know, that's anxious. We're supposed to be anxious about nothing. 
But in reality, what Paul is trying to get us to grasp is that we shouldn't be worried about everything when we serve an omnipotent God, right? If God's got everything under control, and we trust that He's working for our good, why do we get so worried about everything? I mean, in you know, in, in one area, yes, we should care about what happens in our lives. I don't want us to just become completely, you know, opposed to trying and effort and stuff like that. We do need to do that. But in one sense, also, we serve God, who has promised to do all things for our good, and He's going to because He's omnipotent, so He can. So why do we often, so often, just freak out about every little detail? Because God's not sitting up in heaven, tapping his omnipotent foot, and twiddling his thumbs, saying, oh, what are they going to do next? I don't know what's going on. He has every single second of every single day and every single person's life planned out from beginning to end, and he knows what's going to happen. So that's why Paul can say, you don't have to be anxious about anything. But if you are anxious about something, bring that before God in prayer and supplication. So it's not always, hey, just don't do it, stop. Because Paul knows it's a real thing. So in your anxiousness, in your worry, what you should do is constantly be praying to God about that. That's something that I love about God is He always gives us a way to glorify Him, to do something for Him. If He asks something of us, He gives us the means to do it. So we don't need to worry and fright about all of life's circumstances. And I think it is something that is so relieving to finally give something up that you've been working on and stressing about for so long, and then you finally realize, God, you can do it if I just let go and let you do it. So relieving to finally let that go. And I think of uh, one time I was working, I used to, I worked in many odd and ends jobs and warehouses and factories, and for a whole summer, my job was banding skids. I don't know if you guys have ever worked in warehouses, but my job was simply to put metal around metal and then tie it and cut it. And I did that for 10 hours a day for three months. And it was like the dumbest job ever. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. It was so boring. But in that time, I was given a lot of time to just think and pray. And in that time, I was working through a lot with going to school, going to be a pastor, trying to prepare for that. I was dating Lindsay and trying to make sure that I'm doing the right things in our, in our relationship and trying to please God and all this and just got so hyped up about everything. And I finally just said, God, I'm going to mess it up if I'm doing all the work. So will you just, you just do it for me? And all of a sudden it was like, wow, that would have been so much easier to do like two years ago. Why didn't I do that? And that's how it works with God. If we finally just realize we need to give it up for the prayer, it's going to take care of business for us. It may not always look exactly like we want to, but again, we have to remember God's ways are higher than ours. And if he does something, it's actually worth better. One thing I love about God is he gives us initial blessings, such as prayer, etc., all those things. But on top of that, he gives us so many more. And uh, so with prayer, we get prayer. That's amazing. I mean, really, when you pray, you're speaking to omnipotent God. That's incredible. You're entering before his presence, and it's okay. The priests couldn't even enter into the presence. If you entered in the presence of God in the Old Testament, you died if you weren't worthy. We have been made worthy and now can approach God in the car, in the office, in the shower, wherever you want. You can approach God and pray to Him. That is not, we have been given a relationship with Him where now we can do that. That's amazing. But not only that, we get that amazing gift, but when we give it up, we get peace. That's what it talks about in this passage. It says, when you've made everything.
everything known to God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who in the world doesn't want peace? That's the topic that everyone, I mean, Miss America says world peace every five seconds. That's all they want. But we see peace is a subject that almost everyone in the world wants. They say, I wish I had peace in this decision. I wish I had peace in that. I wish I had peace in this. And God's saying, if you pray when you want peace, I'll give it to you. And it's going to baffle human understanding. So you can meet people who are suffering from cancer, and they're, they're okay. Why? Because they have God who's giving them peace that does not make sense. For they have given up their worries and their controls to God. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. I love when God does stuff like that because you, it literally doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's a God thing. I love it when God does those things. The third thing about prayer. Prayer is the will of God for our lives. Let me turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. That's another thing that most everyone is looking for in their life. I wish I just knew my purpose. I wish I knew this or that. Christians, we call that knowing the will of God. We always say, I wish I just knew the will of God for my life. Well, I'm here to tell you that I, I know the answer. The will of God for your life is that you pray. It's over. That's it. Will God like that you that you pray, that you would pray. That is his will. So that's your answer for today. You're seeking the will of God today? Pray. And tomorrow we there are like twenty different texts where it says, For is the will of God that you blank. Abstain from all sexual purity is the will of God that you blank. So you're looking for the view of the will of God, just read the Bible, it'll tell you. So we see First Thessalonians five, we'll be talking in verse seventeen and eighteen. Just pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for in Christ Jesus for you. So pray without ceasing also taps into the idea that prayer is a lifestyle. But when you read verse 18, it's attached. It's very clear that prayer is the will of God for our lives. This is another one of those texts that's been puzzling to me. How do you pray without ceasing? And I mean, like, you know, I, I go and become a monk, and I sit and I just pray all day. That if you take it literally, pray without ceasing, means you are literally praying all the time, always. But I think this taps back into what I said before. Prayer is a lifestyle. Our lives should be marked by prayer. I think that's what Paul is getting at. We are people that should be constantly seeking God in this situation. You wake up, God, I need strength to get through today. You get to work, God, I really need strength in this meeting. I need your grace to have this meeting go well. I need your grace for this. I need it for this. So every in every area of your life, you are asking God for something, for some help, for something in this that you need. That is how you pray without ceasing. Something you are constantly seeking God in. And also it says, uh, give thanks in all circumstances. This is another one of those that, like, man, well, when both of my grandpas died a couple years apart, my family wasn't super, like, thrilled about that. And I'm like, well, we're supposed to rejoice in everything. So what does that mean? Like, life doesn't always make me want to rejoice. But we see we rejoice in everything because we look into uh, James 1. That's where my brain first goes when I read something like this. Where we are to count it all joy when we go through trials. So that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what James 1 says. So we know we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to run around like little joy fairies. That's not what we are. We understand that life hurts sometimes. But we do understand that when you go through hard times in life, that's when you grow. God grows you through that. Much like when you work out, you're destroying your muscle tissue so that when it grows back, it's stronger. 
that's a, we, when we go through hard times, we can find joy because we know God's doing a work in our lives that's going to make us better for it. I haven't gone through many hard times in my life that I haven't looked back and go, man, I'm so happy that I went through. That's how it goes. When you go through a hard time, you know, you look back at it and say, that was a good time. I mean, it hurt at the time, but I'm better for it now. Sorry, I taught Sunday school, so my voice is, my throat's getting a little dry. So another one of those things that everyone searches for, like I said before, prayer is the will of God. Everyone wants to know what it is. We say, you know, hey, if the next three cars are red sedans on the highway, then I'll know this is the will of God. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that ridiculous. Like, it's not a mystery. It's very clear and laid out. If you want to do the will of God, pray more. Pray in everything. Every day, wake up, pray. Go to work, pray. When you eat lunch, pray. You are accomplishing the will of God. There's your answer. It's amazing. It's really that simple. We complicate it so much. The next thing we learn about prayer. Prayer is the only way to get things done. Psalm, this is in uh, Psalm 127. This is a text that says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. It is all of life kind of seems stinky. You know, if, you, if you're building something, unless you have God in it, it's not. So we better be looking for God in it. And Leonard Ravenhill, again, I posted this to Facebook because I had this quote, was, they meant it, it stuck with me. Because my friends, we're not going to move this generation to God except by a holy God's revival. You want to change your, com- your community. It's not going to start with us. you got to pray that God changes hearts first. As, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. John Owen says, if we would talk less and pray more about them, things would be would be better than they are in the world. At least we should be better and able to bear them. And in War Room, Miss Clara says, pray and ask God to do what only He can and then get out of the way so He can do it. I like that. This text is not exclusively about prayer, but I think it's something we ought to grasp in order to understand how important prayer is. Because if we're doing it and God is not, it's not going to accomplish its full task. So, we see the two analogies set before us in this text, building a house. This is a text that Pastor Daniel and Pastor Dan and I have worked on a lot. Um, in, uh, in the idea of looking at our church. How do we build our church? How do we make our church better? Well, we can't do it unless we're praying to God first to work in our church. And we want it to grow. Um, we don't necessarily want it to become like a couple thousand people. I think that would be great if we could do that. But we are, we are simply seeking that God would grow our church. And unless God's doing it, our efforts are going to be in vain. We can run as many programs as we want and get as many people through our goals. But unless God's doing it, it's not going to happen. And we ask for Him to do these things through prayer. We're watching a city. If, if, uh, unless the Lord watches over city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's kind of crazy to think that God knows what's going on everywhere at the same time. He watches over every city. He understands what's going on in here, and in Grand Rapids, and in Ohio, and everywhere else in the world. He has a complete grasp of what's going on, and he's watching over it. It's kind of crazy. Uh, the fifth thing we learn about prayer in the Bible is prayer is, an ex- is a way to an extremely deep, personal, and honest relationship with a God who seeks the best for you. Look into Matthew 6, 
here. And this is, uh, this is another thing we learn from here is exactly how to pray. Jesus tells us how to pray. So if Jesus is telling you how to do something, I suggest that you do it. He kind of knows what he's talking about. So you see in Matthew 6, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. This is something that I love about God because He is deeply relational. And He cares about us. This is probably my favorite aspect about prayer because it is a way for us to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. I think that is something we all as Christians would say we desire. Right? You want to have a good relationship with God? I certainly hope so. That's kind of why you're here. And to do that, I think that one of the best ways to do so is to pray. F.B. Meyer, which I don't know who that is, but this is a good quote, says, fall on your knees and grow there. There is no burden of the Spirit, but is lighter, but it is lighter by kneeling under it. Prayer means not always talking to Him, but waiting before Him till the dust settles and the stream runs clear. It's going to be my favorite aspect of prayer, as I said. And most of you know I like people. I'm a personable guy. I kind of like thrive off of having people. I haven't really met a stranger, but I know Herm Ferguson. We went down to Ann Arbor, and I don't think we met a stranger in the whole city. He met everyone, and he didn't know who they were, but he kind of did somehow. I don't know, but he was friends with all of them the second he saw them. I value, we both value human relation. We value human relationships. We value human relationships because God has made us that way, because he is relational with us. And I love that we can see that about God, that we don't see him as this mighty, grand, angry guy in the sky who doesn't love us but seeks to do something against us, but we see him as our Father who seeks to give us the best and gives us the way to communicate with him to do so. This is why I love our church so much, because within a couple weeks, Lindsay and I, we feel home here. We went home to Grand Rapids, and we're, you know, we saw my dad's church and everything, and it wasn't in Grand Rapids that was home. It was here with you guys. This is home now. I love it. That's the way we're built to do that because that's the way God is reflecting himself in us because he is relational. And so how do we get a relationship with him? We pray. Always, always pray. And it doesn't always have to be this long, drawn-out. I think some of my best prayers have been, like you said, sitting alone in your closet or whatever it is that you seek to go, but simply being there and just saying, all right, God, I need help. And then, because I've already given it up to him, so I need to continue to move on. But it is simple little prayers in a relationship. And I, I just I love this aspect of prayer. So whether that is in deep prayer, repenting of sin, or asking the salvation of others, or if it's a quick thank you for how beautiful the weather is, we are told to pray. We are told to pray in, in, in the secret of our closets, and God will hear us. Now that, I love that God hears us. If that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. God hears you when you pray. So when you pray, it kind of feels like you're talking to a, to a blank wall. You're not. God hears you and cares and listens intently. God will hear you as it says so in the Bible. So if you're wondering if God ever listens, he most definitely does. Alongside this, we're told how to pray and actually how not to pray as well. I want to keep... I like to keep things practical, and I, just, I, I like to do things, I like to keep things practical. So I love this text because he says, 
don't pray like those at the street corner standing and heaping up empty phrases. I don't like that. Guys, I like it when you get alone with me and you're focused on praying and communicating with me. We're told how to pray. And I'm heard uh, I say, you know, a man's public prayer life reflects his private prayer life. This, this reminds me of my grandpa Pip. He, he died in, 2011, or, yeah, in uh, 2001. And uh, so I was a kid when I knew him. But the man would pray for like 20 minutes before dinner. And as a kid, I'm like, oh, please. I just want to eat food. But it was a reflection of who he was when he went into his prayer closet and when he was in private praying before God. It reflected the man that he was. And I wish he was still alive so I could thank him for the lesson he taught me. But it's just amazing to see, you know, how important our prayer life is. A man is no greater than his prayer life. I love that quote. So you've seen just a quick overview of what prayer looks like, what it is. It's the will of God. It's, a, it's an everyday thing. All these different things we learn about prayer. And if we had more time, which I'm running out, we would look more deeply into John 17 and Psalm 51. These are two of my favorite examples of prayer. And when uh, we see in John 17, Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're talking about, if we're on a sermon on prayer, I think I'd be misguided and almost inappropriate to not talk about Jesus. He was in true communication with his Father. We look at his example in all things. I think, I love that when Jesus is sitting there, he's facing his execution. He knows his best friends are going to betray him, and they're going to leave him. And what, if you look in the text, which we don't have time, but if you look at it on your own, you'll see what Jesus is praying about is other people. He is facing crucifixion. And he knows he's facing it. If I knew I was facing crucifixion, I'm not praying about you guys. Sorry, I'm asking for my nerves to not feel pain. That's just kind of how we are as people. But what is Jesus saying, Father, let them know that I am still with them and when I am gone. Keep them in your will. Keep them in your word. Protect them. Look after them when I am gone. That, we should pray like that for other people. Desperately seeking God for other people. Yes, we pray for ourselves too, but we look at this as a great example to see Jesus is showing us what prayer is to look like. Yes, it looks like our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Sorry, King James is coming out. Thy kingdom done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Yes, we pray like that, but also desperately be seeking in prayer the welfare of other people. That's what Jesus cared about. That's what we learn from his prayers, other people. Lord, help them when I am gone. And then we see in Psalm 51, David's prayer after he got caught in his sin with Bathsheba. And that is a gut-wrenching psalm. When you read that, you can feel the anxiety in David's life when he's praying. You know, Father, forgive me. You know, um, Give me your steadfast love. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He is just desperately seeking God's face after his sin. And I think we can learn a lot from that when we are in sin and we seek to be brought back into relationship with him. We see David understood how bad his sin was, and he understood how badly he needed to just plead that God would forgive him. And God did forgive him, and that's the best part. We learn from his prayer. When we sin, we got to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Because we messed up, and sin is so much bigger than I think we understand it is. But if we go to God 
desperately asking for him to forgive us when he does. You see, prayer brings us forgiveness. It's amazing. So what do we do about all of this? Well, I would tell you to just pray. It's a simple application. I'm not a very deep thinker. I'm a pretty practical, simple man. So I love to just simply say, just pray more. When you study into more, and to study more into how great prayer is, read John 17, read Psalm 51. Go back and look in the text that we have talked about. And when you tell someone, hey, I'm praying for you, please do it. I know it's difficult. I struggle with that as well. But when you understand how important prayer is, and we know we all need it, so when someone asks you to pray for them, pray with them right there. It's easy to do. Take 15 seconds and pray right there. I had the pleasure of uh, a lady call, and uh, she called in our church asking if we could help her uh, pay a bill that she had. She just had major back surgery, so she can't work, and she's going to lose her house with, with her boy. She said, hey, is there anything a church can do? I I don't know. Let me talk to other people. I can't sign a check, though I want to. I don't have the power to do that. And I said, hey, do you mind if I pray with you real quick? I don't want to pat myself on the back here. But the, refe- the, the effect that it had on her, she just started crying. She couldn't believe that someone would care enough to just pray right there with her and help her. That wasn't me with the desire to do that. God gave me that desire. I simply just followed his will. When you pray for people, it shows how much you care. So I would ask, when you say, hey, I'm praying for you, please do it. Another practical application, don't not only just pray more, but pray Scripture back to God. Pray David's prayer. Go through the Psalms and read his prayers. I mean, they're amazing. So personal back to God. Saying, God, what are you doing? And then God shows me, he's like, oh, God, you're amazing. Thank you for all of that that you've done. Uh, and, and pray with a purpose. Pray more often than church, bedtime, mealtime, and when you go to other places. Let me leave you with one final quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, we, we cannot all argue, but we can all pray. We cannot all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We cannot all be mighty in rhetoric, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. I would sooner see you eloquent with God than with men. I I want the same thing for our church. I'd rather see rather see all of us become prayer warriors before we become great speakers. So let's all go out and pray more. This is a, that's the only way to get things done truly because we finally give it up to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and that you choose to listen to us when we come before you. Lord, there are so many people praying to you right now and you understand and you hear all of it and you are going to meet all the needs that are brought before you. Lord, that is incredible. We thank you for all the amazing things that you have done for us, for sending Jesus, for his defeating of death and sin so that we may live in a relationship with you. Lord, thank you for showing us what your will is in life. And I pray that you help all of us to pray more, to humble ourselves and